With the nights closing in, the sun with its annual pale light making way for the early dusk, we know that the days of ochre autumn are coming to an end, and soon winter with its spiky frost and chilled air will be upon us. And then, bringing a warm glow of celebration after the winter solstice, it's Christmas, and the joy of Christmas is universal. Although celebrated in many different ways all over the world, some parts of Scotland refer to Christmas Eve as Suensnicht. It's a night filled with music, family, and good food. Suens are made from oats, and their origins go as far back as the 17th century. So let's explore the history and origins of this sour, creamy food, Suens. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. This episode will be a little different. Don't worry, we're still exploring the origin of a holiday favorite, but I want to let you know one more thing. This episode marks the beginning of our second season. Yes, Seasons Eatings is one year old. We're going to hear from a few of my fellow Christmas podcasters, and then we'll jump back into our regular schedule. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so that you won't miss another episode when it's released, and all future episodes will be available to you without you having to search for them. And if you take a minute and leave a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. Reviews help others find the podcast and help me know that you're enjoying what I'm doing. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links can be found in the show notes, which can be found on seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're there, you can buy me a coffee. Just click on that little coffee cup on the top of the page and leave a donation for as little as $3. Each donation is used for the running of the podcast and its general upkeep, so any help would be appreciated. Finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for a future episode, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. And stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a special announcement. But first, let's hear some other words from our Christmas podcast family. Hello, this is Todd from Christmas Clatter. I want to extend a big congratulations to Glenn and Season Eatings podcast for their one-year anniversary. I knew when I heard that first episode, this podcast was going to be something special And it truly is. Glenn does such a great job breaking down the history of the food and the food itself that make the holidays so special. It's a little hard to uh, not get hungry, listen to his podcast, and want to try some new and different things. 
I really appreciate getting to know Glenn over the past year as a fellow podcaster and Christmas enthusiast. And uh, a year's just gone by so quickly, it seems like, even though uh, last year was a crazy year, it did seem like it was a quick year looking back. But uh, congratulations, Glenn. Congratulations to Seasons Eatings Podcast. One year in the book and many, many more to go. You are truly doing what you can to keep Christmas hope alive every day. This is Benji Pearson, and I would like to congratulate Glenn on his one-year anniversary of Seasons Eating Podcast. Thanks for combining my three favorite things, Christmas, history, and food. Hi, this is Jerry D. with Totally Rad Christmas. Glenn, congratulations on one year. That's so awesome. I love your show. It always gets me so hungry for all the wonderful foods and Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I just can't wait to hear more. So keep it up, man. Congrats. Hey, Glenn, this is Sean from Christmas Podcast Podcast. I just want to pop in and say congratulations on one year of Seasons Eatings Podcast. And I also want to thank you for everything you've done to help out on my Merry Christmas and with tracking Santa from last year with your hours and music. Keep up the great work. Keep keeping us hungry. And here's to another full year of Seasons Eatings Podcast. Hey, Glenn, this is Matt from TGI Podcast. Just wanted to congratulate you on one year. That is awesome. I will say I love listening to all your episodes. My ears love it, but my waistline certainly does not. But I am so excited that you are at the one year mark. Cannot wait to hear much, much more from you in the future. Congratulations. Happy birthday, Seasons Eatings Podcast, and congratulations to Glenn. Hey, you've made it so far. Keep going. Can't wait for next year's anniversary. Thank you for being Awesome to me. Thank you for being part of my podcast. And well, this is too many, many more years. Feliz Christmas. Merry Navidad. Scotland might be famous for its Christmas celebrations, but it wasn't always that way. Not too long ago, the tradition was outlawed and Christmas wasn't welcome in Scotland. That's right, Christmas celebrations were effectively banned in Scotland for nearly 400 years. And it was only quite recently that attitudes changed. Even now, many Scots are thought to make a bit more of a deal for Hogmanay. And it's thought this could be linked, well, that and the love of a good night out. But we have to go all the way back in history to 1560 to find out why Scots were so against the celebrations. Around 1560, Scotland officially split from the papacy and Catholic Church, a period known as the Scottish Reformation, when the new beliefs and practices were adopted. As the country adopted more Calvinist traditions, the Church of Scotland associated Christmas with the extravagant celebrations of the Catholic Church something they thought didn't reflect their interpretation of scripture. So it was suspended. And with religion such a huge part of life for most communities, punishment for not following the law would have been severe. It wasn't a popular move, and lots of Scots weren't happy at being told they were suddenly unable to enjoy the fun of the celebration. This war on Christmas reached a climax in 1640, when the Scottish Parliament passed a law 
making it illegal to celebrate Yule vacations. This law was strictly enforced, and people found to celebrate Christmas risk facing imprisonment, which was fairly horrific during this period in history, as you can imagine. The actual prohibition didn't last too long. Following the Protestant Reformation, it was introduced by the 1640 Act of Parliament, but was brought back in 1686, some years after the death of Oliver Cromwell. However, the Church of Scotland, a Presbyterian church, had discouraged Yule celebrations since around 1583. The church believed there was no basis for celebrating the day as it didn't reflect what was in the Bible. There are even records of some people being arrested over unlawful celebrations during the years it was officially banned. While this ban was officially revoked in 1712, the church continued to frown upon the festive celebration. It would have been unthinkable to have a Christmas tree in your home in some parts of Scotland, even as late as the 1940s. And it was only in 1958 that Scotland really started to shrug off its uncomfortable relationship with the tradition. Professor Bill Naffey from the University of Aberdeen's History Department explained it didn't become a public holiday again until the 1950s. This is why, for some, the bigger celebration during the holiday season is Hogmanay, or also known as New Year's Eve. There are many customs, both national and local, associated with Hogmanay. The most widespread national custom is the practice of first footing, which starts immediately after midnight. It involves being the first person to cross the threshold of a friend or neighbor and often involves the giving of symbolic gifts such as salt, coal, shortbread, whiskey and a black bun, intended to bring different kinds of luck to the householder. Food and drink are then given to the guests. This may go on throughout the early hours of the morning and well into the next day, although modern days see people visiting houses well into the middle of January. The first foot is supposed to set the luck for the rest of the year. Traditionally, a tall, dark-haired man are preferred as the first foot. The Hogmanay custom of singing Old Lang Syne has become common in many countries. Old Lang Syne is a Scots poem by Robert Burns, based on traditional or other earlier sources. It is now common to sing this in a circle of linked arms that are crossed over one another as the clock strikes midnight for New Year's Day, though it's only intended that participants link arms at the beginning of the final verse before rushing into the center as a group. Robert Burns was born on the 25th of January in 1759 in a clay cottage near Alloway Kirk in Ayrshire. That tenement was built by his father, William Burness, which fell before the winter's blast a week before the poet's birth. William Burness was a gardener and overseer to a small laird, and also farmed on his own account a few acres of meager soil. As time passed on and the family increased, Robert was the eldest of seven children. There was difficulty in paying for an education out of a miserable livelihood, but the services of John Murdoch could be got cheap, and he was employed by several farmers with board and lodging in their houses by rotation to teach their families. From this clever youth, full of literary interest, Robert and Gilbert, young as they were, learned much. Robert gaining from his teacher a skill in grammar and writing, and a taste for letters. 
learning scraps of Thompson and Mallet and Gray and Shakespeare from old school books. Home life was poor and in the little two-room cottage and toil hard on the farm on which the family did all the work. Robert and Gilbert, as each reached the age of 13, would weed the furrows and thrust the corn. At 15, they would act as plowmen and shearers, working from daybreak till late evening, when they were ready to go weary to their chaff beds. The fare, like home life, was mean and monotonous. Suins and kale and milk, with little variation at the meals. No meat appearing on the board except when a cow or sheep died of old age or infirmity. They had a few neighbors and lived much aloof, but there was a keen life of intelligent interests among themselves. Robert Burns created a collection of poems called Poems Chiefly in the Scottish Dialect, commonly known as the Kilmarnock edition. It was first printed and issued by John Wilson of Kilmarnock in July 31, 1786 and was the first published edition of Burns's work. Here he is mentioning the rather famous, yet now somewhat forgotten dish, of Suins. We merry sangs and friendly cracks, I wot they did na weary, and unco tales and funny jokes, their sports were cheap and cherry. Till butter Suins with fragrant lunt, sat a gabs a steerin, seen will a social glass o strunt, they parted aft career in full blithe that night. We'll find out how to make this traditional dish after the break. If you're like me, you have fond memories of Christmas's past. When you settled in with your family to watch cherished Christmas classics like Rudolph, Frosty, or maybe you remember trekking to the theater to see big holiday releases like A Christmas Story, Home Alone, and my personal favorite, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I hope you'll rediscover a piece of that innocence while shopping at retrofestive.ca. While you're here, why not pick up some gifts for your loved ones? We're always posting new items, so be sure to check back often. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. From leg lamps to moose mugs, Puzzles and Pop Culture, Retro Festive is your one-stop online shop for all your holiday gifts. Visit retrofestive.ca and be like Uncle Eddie and get something for you. Something really nice. Suins were once part of the Scottish traditional diet, and not many households would have been without their Suin Bowie. More on this in a moment. But first, we need to consider how much of Scottish folk culture and folk magic traditions are tied to traditions of home and community. At the very heart of homes and communities are, of course, food and cookery. Cooking for one's home and family is a form of hospitality which, and still sometimes has, a sacred character in Scotland and a way to nurture those we care for. The word Sowens comes from Gaelic Suen and makes its first documented appearance in Scots in the late 16th century. George Ridpath, in An Answer to the Scotch Presbyterian Eloquence in 1693, assures us that Sowens are good victuals both for body and soul. 
Suans keep well, according to William Leslie in his general view of the agriculture of the counties of Nairn and Moray in 1813. In this country, Suans are prepared at short intervals of about a week. In Caithness, more art is displayed, the whole stock for half a year or more being made up at once. And similar to starch, is preserved instead of the bran in the form of dry paste in which state it is sent to families resident in Edinburgh. Suins could also be preserved without drying for months by pouring off the clear water swats and adding fresh water. Drink and suins were taken warm, often sweetened with treacle, and thin suins used for scones. Suins nicht was another name for Christmas Eve in Aberdeen, and Burns links them to Halloween. Yule suins were prepared for the festivities of Christmas, but if they don't appeal to your taste, another use is described by William Watson in Glimpses of Old Lang Syne from 1903. It was then quite a common practice to go with a pail full of sewins, and with a whitewashing brush, the doors and windows of dwelling houses after the inmates had retired to their beds. The houses selected for sewining in this way were usually those of the near Baguan and unsociable folks who never gave nor accepted invitations for Yule Suans. I think this beautifully illustrates how our customs and traditional foods are linked entirely to folk magic and folk traditions of Scotland. It's good not to put traditional cookery to the wayside entirely for more modern conveniences because of its long history. Obviously, with advancements in preserving foods, some of the older techniques may not be as required. Food falls out of fashion as it becomes associated with poverty and the lower classes. However, some of the older preserving and cooking techniques also added more nutrition we no longer access due to the invention of things like refrigeration. So people who still cook traditionally can actually be healthier than those who use more modern methods. One of the more renowned Scottish ingredients for cookery are oats. Oats were the main grain crop in Scotland, not wheat or barley, due to the climate. This, of course, was before modern farming methods were introduced. Once the oats were dried and ground, crofters and others, having given the oats to the mill, would get back not only the ground oats, but also a bag of sids. These would be the oat husks. I guess we'd call that oat bran today, with little bits of kernels still attached to them. Not wanting this to go to waste, people would make suins out of them. A thick oatmeal paste with a distinctly sour taste, a bit like milk kefir if you tried it. It's not unpleasant, but I think it's a taste somewhat removed from the modern palate as we no longer eat many live fermented foods that have this sour profile. People tend to cover up or avoid the sour and bitter tastes, preferring sugar and starch. The reason suins are a very healthy food is that it's a form of probiotic, similar in its use to live cultures of yogurt we take today in the form of probiotic drinks that cost a small fortune. Suins were even on the list of foods of the Dundee Royal Infirmary in 1798. Though if you cook them into a porridge, you will kill the probiotic cultures in them, but still have access to the nutrients that are more easily digested because it's been fermented. So, how do you make suins? Suins are made from the husks of the oats, 
or the sids, which are left to soak in water until the mixture begins to sour. Once settled, this liquid separates into a thick, oaty liquid and a thin, watery liquid. The juice on top, the swats, is carefully poured off and can be drunk. And the more solid material is mixed with water and some salt in a pot and cooked until it becomes a very smooth porridge. This is the cooked suins. The uncooked suins may also be mixed with water and used as sour oat milk. Here's a recipe that comes from F. Marion McNeil's book, The Scottish Kitchen, with some slight adaptations so it makes a bit more sense to us today. McNeil suggests you feel your suin buoy. That is a narrow mouth wooden tub resembling a small barrel with your sids. Fill a liter kilner jar with two-thirds oat bran and one-third oats, and then fill the jar up with warm water and add a little whey left over for making cheese. McNeil doesn't say to add whey, but figured it might get things started a little faster and make sure it doesn't go off. Also add a tablespoon of salt. The bran and oats will float and they need to be pressed under the water until they are fully submerged and stop floating. You then leave this mixture, called the surf, to ferment. Cover with the clip-top lid so nothing would fall in. This was left for a week. McNeil states it can take from four to five days when warm and up to a fortnight if the house is cold, though suggests a week is fair average. Once it's fermented, that is, where it gets the sour taste as the good bacteria get to work, it shouldn't smell off bad at this point. So if it does, something else has entered your ferment and you have to start again. Then you begin the process of the scion of the suins, that is, we sieve the suins. So line a sieve with muslin and use that to give it a good squeeze into the bowl underneath. Then rinse this with cold water to wash off any remaining sediment. The liquid that was come from the squeezing was poured back into the makeshift buoy or kilner jar and left to settle for a couple days. This mixture will separate. White paste will appear on the bottom of the jar and a yellowy liquid above that. The clear liquid is what's called the swats, which you can drink. It's full of probiotic bacteria like yogurt. And again, it has a slightly sour taste. And the sediment is called suins. What you did then with the suins was up to you. McNeil suggests you can use a gill, that is five fluid ounces, with twice as much water. So two gills or 10 fluid ounces per person. The imperial measurement is roughly a half a cup to a gill, and boil it until it's like a thick cream for about 10 minutes or so. This is called suin porridge, or brown plate suins. Other people use suins differently. As I've said before, you could cover people's doors and windows with it if they weren't very hospitable. I could be imagined it was kind of like wallpaper paste or flour paste. And once this dried, it would be a nightmare to remove. Other people ate it like porridge. Or the suins could simply be heated and called ganagither suins. Or if something lighter was desired, people would pour the suins into water and adding a touch of fresh butter, this was called duchia. People also made suin scones with the creamy suin paste. So, I hope you'll try out this cheap and healthy and versatile foodstuff 
and I wish you luck with any of your future suin making activities. Please let me know if you try this out and how it goes. And as a special thank you for tuning in over this past year, I've decided to create a giveaway contest. Go to the Seasons Eatings page on Facebook on May 26th to enter the giveaway. Be quick because the contest will only run for two weeks, ending on June 8th, where I will pick one lucky winner at random for the grand prize, compliments of retrofestive.ca. It's Canada's favorite online retailer for all your retro holiday items. Links to Retrofestive will be in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. Also, I would love to hear from you, so please send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show. If you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker for your trouble as well. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me a coffee. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little coffee cup. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. I created this podcast just a short year ago, and it's grown so much. Thank you for everyone who's listened so far, and if you know anyone who'd like to know more about Christmas foods, just share the podcast. Every little bit helps. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license.